0: Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at South fellowship we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus.
1: Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message.
0: Good morning. They do such a great job with those, don't they? Yes, let's celebrate that. Well... If I were to ask you the question, what did you want to be when you grew up? What, would that, what was that? Just call it out, maybe a few people. What is it? Cowboy? Cowboy. 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 Cowboy? Cowboy. Is that what you said? With, with masks, hard. Shout it out, a couple other people. Okay, what else? Baseball player. Baseball player. Man, this is shocking. nerve. People are going, yes, I want to be that thing. As kids, we have great imaginations, don't we? And we look down through the the halls of our life and imagine the moments that would be significant for us. For me, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a writer. Nobody told me I couldn't do those things all at once. I didn't realize that at the time. And as kids, we all start our lives um, looking down the pages of our lives, and and we, we visualize our lives filled with moments of greatness, don't we? And yet, we often find ourselves in the middle of our lives, or maybe even toward the end of our lives, wondering where all those good moments went, and feeling like maybe all those good moments passed us by and went to somebody else. Can you relate? It's like we've somehow lost our sense of imagination and wonder about what the future could look like, and, and sometimes we, we settle for a life that's mundane and safe and boring. A number of years ago, I read a book that literally changed my life. It's a book by Erwin McManus called Chasing Daylight. And it's, it's one of the top five books I've ever read. That, and it's one of the top five books that really influenced me and shaped the way that I saw my response as a follower of Jesus in this life. And, and Irwin talks in this book about this concept that all of our lives are the cumulative output of a handful of key moments in our life. Five or six or maybe seven key moments or decisions or things that happen to us that dramatically affect the direction of our lives. And those moments are, are turning points for us, moments in which often we had to make a choice about how we're going to engage in that moment, what direction we're going to go, what we're going to do at this moment. And that decision greatly affected the course of our lives. And our lives are the cumulative sum of those key moments put together. They define who we are and what we do. And, you know, maybe it's that time as a child we did something humiliating and everybody noticed and we've never forgotten it. Maybe it's hitting the winning win in the baseball game or the little league game. Maybe it's when our parents sat us down and told us that they were getting a divorce. Maybe it's the birth of a child or the death of a loved one. Or the day we got married. Maybe it's the decision to start a business or to go into a certain field as a career. The truth is if we're honest, we can pause and examine our lives and look back and see five or six key moments that define our lives. The first moment for me, if I had to do that, actually started before I was born, five days before I was born, November sixth, nineteen seventy-seven. My dad was killed in a tragic car accident. And as you might imagine, it thrust my mom and my family into this this situation of managed chaos where they, on one hand, welcomed new life into the world, but they said goodbye to another. I can't even imagine what that must have been like for her. And as you might imagine, it it launched my life into chaos in a very difficult childhood. Now, that was a moment that I didn't choose. That moment chose me My other moments were moments that we've all faced, things that just happened in my life. And for most of us, those are just normal events, but if we look back, we see that they were shaping our lives. Like for me, choosing to follow Jesus at the age of 10, that was a big moment. Getting married was a significant moment for me. I have two kids, becoming a father and having to become responsible in a new, fresh way, that was a big moment for me. And if I look back at those key five or six moments in my life, I can see this. They're some of the biggest moments that define me and make me who I am. So if you and I were to have coffee, I've led a lot of people through this exercise. Just sit down and think of your five or six key moments. And instead of doing that four hours into the tell me about you and you're like, and then in third grade, Mrs. So-and-so, just say the four or five or six key moments in your life. Some moments are hard. Some are fun, some are easy, but the the truth is you can have the same moment in life presented to two different people and they can respond to those moments differently, can't they? Moments are amazing because they're pregnant with possibility. They're like little atoms. An atom is this this tiny unit of spatial measurement that holds nearly infinite potential. They're they're latent with power. We figured through science how to split them or fuse them together and creating energy. It provides energy that can either be used for good or bad purposes. And what I've found to be true is that there are generally two different ways people see moments in time. One, those who see those moments after they happen. And those are the people that at the end of their life wonder where it all went. And maybe another group is people who see and recognize defining moments ahead of time or in the moment. They're, they see them as divine moments, as opportunity to step into life and to lean into them and to release their full potential. And listen, the bottom line it's a matter of perspective. We're all capable of of dreaming about the future the way that a child does. We're we're all capable of leaning into the defining moments of our lives. But here's something that I'm convinced to be true. What we choose to do with the moments that come along determine determine the quality and the impact of our lives. Just think about that. Take a picture if you need to. What we choose to do with the moments that come along determine the quality and the impact of our lives. And this morning, I want to look at a story in the Bible. This is this is actually my favorite narrative in all of the scriptures. And it's the story of two people who face this exact same moment in history with the same circumstances, with the, the same opportunity. They make remarkably different decisions about how to embrace this moment. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible lap, turn to First Samuel chapter 14. First Samuel chapter 14. And so to set up the scene, I'm actually going to back up while you're turning there a chapter earlier so that we can really feel the gravity of what's going on. In 1 Samuel 13, the nation of Israel is at war. And they have this king, this king who started really young at the age of 30. His name was Saul. And Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel to be his fighting force. And he has this young son named Jonathan who goes to battle, who attacks a Philistine outpost, and because of that, war begins. And so Israel has 3,000 soldiers ready for battle, and the Philistines show up with their arsenal. And I'm going to walk you through what they have. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and listen to this, soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That sounds like a lot of soldiers to me. How about you? See, I don't know about you, but I personally doubt that Israel would have went to war if they would have anticipated such a massive army showing up to play. I mean, think about that. Soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. That's an ancient Hebrew way of saying that Israel was up a creek. And so the Israeli army did what any right-thinking person would do in that situation. Most of them fled. (laughs) Many of them, they fled in caves, they fled in cisterns, some fled the country, but Saul stayed at Gilgal, and he had some troops with him, and the scriptures were said, says that he was quaking with fear. Now, I read this, and I put myself in their shoes. I've got a handful of people against soldiers that number as the sands on the sea, and I think if we put ourselves in their shoes, we would do the same thing. They were peeing in their Hebrew pants. That is what was happening. So Saul hunkers down and he waits because the great prophet Samuel promised that he would return. And Saul's waiting and Saul got impatient. And so he thought, you know what? I'm going to take it instead of trusting God, instead of letting God do God's thing here, I'm going to take it into my hands. And he offered up a burnt offering in an attempt to earn favor with God in this situation. Of course, right around that time, Samuel comes back in town. And essentially, he tells Saul, you've done a wicked thing. And because of his lack of trust in the provision of God, Saul's kingdom would be stripped From him, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? To make matters worse, the Philistines sent out soldiers to basically kidnap all of the blacksmiths from the people of Israel because the blacksmiths were capable of making what weapons of war. The, The Philistines took all of the blacksmiths; they took all of the weapons, and the army of Israel found themselves at the lowest point. They had hardly any weapons. The only weapons they had were two swords: one that King Saul had, and one that his son Jonathan had. They had no ability to to make weapons, and they faced this army that numbered as much as the sands on the seashore. And to top it all off, the army of the Philistines were camped on the top of this cliff, preparing to take them out. It's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? Do you ever feel like the deck is stacked against you like this? Like the enemy is there with every tool, and here you are, I got nothing. What am I going to do? So we pick up the story here, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah who was wearing an ephod. So Saul sees the situation, no weapons, no capacity to make weapons. I only have 600 people. He's facing this moment where Philistine army is ready to just do them in. And so he sits under a tree and he feels defeated. And he knows that his kingdom's going to be taken from him because of a lack of obedience to God. And his army has dwindled down to 600 soldiers. And he has one puny sword and no other resources. And he can see this army up on the top of this cliff, preparing to mount an assault that surely will wipe out all of his people. To hear this powerful king has, has moved from this place of uh, everything in his disposal to virtually nothing. And so he gives up and he sits under this pomegranate tree. So while Saul is sitting there, remember his young son, Jonathan, he springs into action. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men, talking about the Philistines who were not circumcised. And then Jonathan says something that I think is an incredibly powerful commentary on how he was choosing to embrace the same exact moment as his father at this time. And this statement that we're about to look at together absolutely changed the course of my life at multiple turns. I'm going to invite you to read this with me. Would you read this loudly? Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, I don't know about you, but when the odds are stacked against me, I like to try to think of a a game plan. I like to see what resources I have. I like to come up with some strategy. I'm going to come up with the perfect thing to do this. Um, Jonathan stands up and says, let's go do this. And in confidence, the best he has to offer is what? Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. If it were me, I think I'd want to know, like, how do you know, Jonathan, that this is what we're supposed to do? Did did, did maybe last night God showed up to you in a dream and he showed you that he was going to do this? Did did God confirm in some way that we're not going to be mincemeat pie for Philistines? But that's not the response that the armor bearer had. Look at what the armor bearer said. Jonathan said, um, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let us see us. If they see us, wait over there until we come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. This is kind of a uh, a, a crazy thing, right? Um, his solution is we're going to present ourselves. We've been hiding. And if they say, stay there, they're going to come down and they're going to murder us. If they say, come on up to us, what's going to happen? God's going to deliver them into our hands. That is the sign. And the, the armor bearer said this thing that I think is really interesting. He said, do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I am with you heart." And soul. So at this point, this, this critical time, we take a look at a moment, a look at the moment in time that we find ourselves in, and sometimes we miss a moment that presents itself to us because we wait for absolute certainty that God is going to show up or that everything is lining up perfectly. And all too often, we, we settle into this life of mediocrity because our theology somewhere along the way became, God will show himself a hundred percent before I take a step. I'm not gonna, in faith, step and go anywhere. I don't know about you, but for me, quite often, it's rarely felt like God has showed me 100% before I could take a step. And for me, often in my life, following God and choosing to lean into a moment versus huddling f- and in fear of the repercussions of making a misstep, that's been a hard balance to carry. It's like this scene on Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. If you remember the scene, he stands at this, this cliff, there's a doorway. And what's between him and the other doorway? Air, nothing. Indiana Jones looks at it. And what does he decide to do? He closes his eyes and he takes a step into thin air. And there was a bridge. He had to just step out. In faith. He had a gut feeling. There wasn't confirmation that he wasn't about to fall a thousand feet to his death. He just trusted that it would work out in the end. And, and sometimes we convince ourselves we don't have the resources to do the things that God has called us. We don't have the resources we need to step into the moments God's placed right in front of us. And like Saul, we're hiding under the pomegranate tree and we're rendered useless. But Jonathan, see, He wasn't prepared to live like that. Jonathan, unlike his father who saw this moment as one not to be engaged, Jonathan said uh, he saw it as an opportunity for God to show up and do something spectacular. And his armor bearer was totally behind him, ready to back him. And I'm going to go back real quick here. So we see this. He tells the plan. We're going to cross over toward them. Let them see us. If they say stay there, uh, then we're dead, right? Mincemeat, Hebrew pie. But if they say, come up to us, we can know that that's a sign that the Lord's delivered them into our hands. And for me on the outset, that's confusing. I think if they say, come up to us, I'm climbing up a rope or climbing through the crag to get up to them, they have the advantage. But for some reason, Jonathan senses that out. So he says they're going to do that. And if I were the armor bearer, I'd probably start asking strategy questions right here. How about you? It doesn't make sense to me. Are you sure about that, Jonathan? Jonathan? How did you decide on those parameters exactly? How exactly is them inviting us up a cliff, a sign that God has delivered them to us versus them inviting us up to our certain death? But Jonathan, as we know, he goes along with it. And so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine army. And what did the Philistines say? They look, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan hears this, and and listen to what he says. Climb up after me, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Now that sounds like crazy talk to me. Hey, we're crazy outnumbered, and they shouted to us and said, come up and let's teach them a lesson. This is clearly a sign, armor bearer, that the Lord has delivered them into our hands. I tell you, if I were Jonathan's armor bearer and he shouted that to me, he would turn and realize that he was talking to himself because I would have hightailed it out of there. The facts don't add up. Many of us can relate. We we settle for this homogenous life with very little risk because we want to know all the details. But listen to me, Living in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, often requires us to to do things that don't make sense to everyone around us. And I love what Erwin McManus says. He says, all too often, people relinquish the life they were created for, the life God created for you, in order to live a life they can create themselves. Think about that the mold of your life that God created for you. Sometimes we're afraid to step into that because it's hard or it's painful or it requires unknowns. And so we settle for a life that you and I, we settle for a life that we can construct and control and know what to expect. And that's exactly what Saul did. He camped under this tree. He did nothing. And, And as a result, his son stepped in and embraced a moment that was intended for his father. See, Saul was afraid because he, he put his trust in the provisions of the weapons of war, and we know he didn't have weapons of war. But Jonathan, listen, he put his trust on the chance that God might provide. And it's only in that kind of life that we experience this sort of breathlessness as we position ourselves to wait time and time again for God to show up. Verse 13. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. Notice this little detail. What did Jonathan use? He used his hands and his feet. He didn't have this huge arsenal. He had very little resources. He had one sword, but he used the resources he had in front of him, his hands and his feet, to propel him to step into this moment. And what about you and I? Do we ever find ourselves facing a moment overwhelmed with all of the things we don't have instead of leveraging the things we do have? You know, maybe you're in a situation where you lost your job and you're waiting that someone will hire you. What's right in front of you? What skills do you have that could propel you forward? Maybe you're in a situation where the the deck seems stacked against you. What do you have right in front of you that you can put to good use instead of just waiting on God to show up and give you everything you need? So, Jonathan and his armor bear, they climbed this cliff and they killed the first people they saw. And here's what it looked like. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bear killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So, in no time flat, Jonathan and his armor bear, they killed about 20 guys by themselves. And then the story gets bananas. Then panic struck the whole army. Remember, they had soldiers as numerous as the sands on the sea. And panic struck all of them, those in the camp in the field, those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. So Jonathan stepped out in faith with the only resources he had available, his hands and his feet and his one sword and his armor bearer, and they killed 20 people. And then God showed up and he sends this earthquake and and the Philistine army thought this massive army was overtaking them and they panicked. So back to Saul. We find out in the story that Saul sitting under this pomegranate tree, of course, looks up and he feels the earthquake and he sees dust happening and he realizes that it's sun leading the way. And and Saul actually stands up then. He's inspired by his son and he rallies the troops and they take off. And so they assemble and they run to battle and they see that the Philistines are so confused, listen, that they're killing each other instead of the enemy. And all of the deserters of the army of Israel, all those who fled, they saw what was happening and they jumped in. And the scriptures say this beautiful thing. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel. The battle moved beyond Beth-Avon. What a powerful story, isn't it? Just as an aside, if you don't read Old Testament stories, you really should. They will build your faith. God will use them to show you amazing things. And we can learn a lot from this. We can see that in a moment where two people are offered the same moment, they could have a decidedly different outcome because a decisive opportunity comes in our life and we have the power and the perspective to shape it and see God move in a way that we never could see if we simply sat and waited. Because when we just settle for that, we we could find ourselves at the end of our lives confused and wondering, well, why didn't it ever happen for me? Why didn't God ever move and do spectacular things in my life? And often it's just moving forward, simply knowing that God is with us, and and the idea that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Jonathan decided he'd rather lean into life than live a life of no meaning. He'd rather die trying than live a boring life. Look at me and listen. We have to stop living our lives so devoted to mitigating risk. Because when we live in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, often he pulls us into things, and it might be kicking and screaming, and it might be scary, but it's in those moments on the edge like this where God showed up in a big way, and he mixed their little bit of faith with his power, and the Lord saved Israel that day. What if we shifted from just playing it safe and letting the world pass us by, and we started really saying and believing that we live a life where perhaps the Lord. Could act on our behalf? How might it change the way you live your life? How might it shift the lives of your spouse and children? How could it influence your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends? What if God used you to help others see moments in life, not as just those things that happen to them, but as opportunities for God to show up? What if we could live with faith like a child and like curiosity, and the Holy Spirit pull us along. I've been trying to do this for over a decade, and there have been a few key moments and seasons in my life where I, I, I see that God has defined my life in those ways. In 2008, I was living in North Texas, and I was at a great church. It was a church that was exploding. I had this great job. I had this we just bought a house 10 months before. Uh, We had a baby. Our church was growing so fast, we were in the midst of this big transition, moving the campus that had been there for 40 years to a new piece of land in a big brand new building. We were right in the middle of all of that. I thought I had it all figured out. By all counts, it was perfect. Yet in those moments where everything seems perfect, it seems like God begins to intervene to make us uncomfortable. And my friend Scott, who's a lead pastor in the Chicago area, he called me out of the blue one day and he said, hey, what would you think about working together? And I was like, sure, that sounds fantastic. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking someday. And then I sort of avoided the conversation for three months. And then one day he called me and said, I'm serious. How about now? Oh, man. That messed everything up. So I started looking into it. I considered my resources. We were moving, if we did this, we'd move from Sherman, Texas, very, very low cost of living, no state income tax, to Chicago, very high cost of living, and lots and lots of taxes. And they couldn't pay me any more than I was already making. He didn't even have a job title or specific responsibilities. He just said, I think you're supposed to be here. Just come, and we'll figure the rest out. And to be honest, that scared the heck out of me. I got to the place where I was going to tell him no, but I couldn't get this phrase, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf out of my head. So I went back to my journal, and I told the Lord, I don't want to do this. This is scary. It's too much. And I could see over seven months rereading my journal, God had been weaving a story, an invitation to step out in faith into something new and scary. So I chose to position my life in such a way that I gave God my yes. I gave my yes first, even though I didn't know all the answers. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I gave him my yes. A few months later, we moved to Chicago, and we spent seven months there, or seven years there. Seven long, brutal winters. And it wasn't all easy. Believe me, it's not like God said, go do this, and everything was fairy dust and unicorns. That's not the case. But God grew me so much in those seven years. And when you realize that this list of cumulative moments in your life can be filled with amazing, powerful events, even when they're hard in the moment, you look back and see how God stitched together this beautiful narrative into the fabric of your life. Well, when that happens, it really starts to change your perspective. And in 2014, I started getting that same sense that God was going to move me and my family someplace new. And I didn't know where, I just, I didn't know how, but I knew that that was the right thing. And so I met with my boss, and I said, I think God's going to move me in the next year. It's crazy. I don't know how to explain it, but I just have this knowing. And we prayed together, and he said, take all the time. Just keep me in the loop of what's going on. So I prayed, and I journaled, and I waited, and I prepared myself, and I, I, I prepared myself and my family. I sold my house. And all of those were scary steps, but I wanted to be ready to seize whatever moment God gave us. And so in the summer of 2015, I fired myself from my job. I resigned, and my family and I, we moved to Florida, to a a new state, a new place. We hardly knew anybody there, but God showed up and did some things there that still blow my mind. And so we got settled in. We got comfortable. I, I could get from my house to the Gulf of Mexico from the time I walked into my garage, started strapping my kayak onto the top of my car to me actually in the water in five minutes. That was awesome. But then my whole family started sensing that Florida was just a stop on the journey. In late January of 2017, I, I really sensed that God was saying, I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. See, Larry, you like to have it figured out. You always want to know what the destination is. What I want you to see is that the journey is as important as the destination. And I want you to trust me with that. And I had a panic attack. And I journaled and angsty and I wrote six things I thought God was saying to me. But at the end of that, I said, Lord, you have my yes. So I waited and I trusted. And a few days later out of nowhere, a guy named Ryan Paulson reached out to me out of the blue and asked if I knew anybody that would be interested in the executive pastor position at South. And he sent me the job description and why, yes, I did. I did know somebody that was interested in that. And within just a couple of months, God brought us to South. I had an offer from another church the same week as as South. It was for more money. It was a much, much larger church. And the Lord said, I want you to go. And my family and I said, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Those are all moments where I had to step into a moment in a new way. And we've all been doing that for this last year, haven't we? See, we lost our lead pastor last summer, and then in March, we faced something none of us possibly could have predicted. It's the reason why everyone in this room is wearing a mask. We stepped into COVID, and you know what's been amazing in this season? Our staff step up, and our elders stepped up and embraced this moment with confidence and trust, with the, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf I saw our care team step up and start to meet needs of people in our city in amazing ways. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. And our food bank team, they stepped up in the last 18 months. They renovated our facility. It's unbelievably amazing. And it opened the door to serve so many more people in such a beautiful way. And 18 months ago or so, when we sat out the plans to renovate that space, we had no idea that that if we stepped into this, that God would honor that. He knew COVID was going to happen. He knew we needed a renovation. And we stepped into it saying, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. We didn't even know what we didn't know. And now we're stepping into another new moment as we've hired Alex Walton to be our lead pastor. And man, I got to tell you, I'm excited about that, aren't you? <laughs> Alex is the right guy for self. And I can't imagine how God's going to use him to lead us into a new moment, a new season. A couple of weeks ago, I worked up the courage to try a British accent on him. And uh, he said, you know, most Americans, when they do British accents, it's terrible, but that one's pretty darn convincing. But I also know with that transition, some of you, you might be afraid of this next season. You might be afraid of this next moment. Some of you, you might be out of your mind, excited. Others, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. Listen, friends, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. What about you? What are your defining moments? What are the five or six key moments and decisions that define who you are? Listen, I understand some of those moments You didn't choose. I didn't choose for my dad to die before I was born. I didn't choose that. Maybe you've had moments that happened to you and you've allowed them to define your life and you've forgotten about that prophetic imagination that God put in the hearts of us all. I want you to know something really important. Your story is still being written. You might be here this morning going... Those have been a lot of hard moments stacked together. Your story is still being written. And I want to ask you and invite you this morning to choose today how you'll be ready for defining moments in the future. Not tomorrow, not a thousand days from now. Now, choose. Will you choose to play it safe, to mitigate risk, to have all the answers, or will you give God your yes ahead of time and see what he might do? And I want you to really think about this. And i want to ask you to give God your yes before you even know where your destination leads. I want you to live with proactive readiness, ready to do whatever God calls you to do, even if it's scary or confusing or whatever it might be. And I wanna tell you how proud I am of this community. I'm proud of you for stepping in in this season and stepping in the gap. And I am confident that God is calling us into this next moment with confidence. I I told you the story about how I've had to do that a few times. I had to leave Texas for Chicago, Chicago for Florida. I left Florida to come here, and I'm not going to get up and do a sermon telling you that your story is still being written and to trust in the Lord, and perhaps he'll act on your behalf without being willing to do that myself. Many months ago, I can't remember if it was late fall or early January. Over the last several years, I've developed this sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit. I don't know how to explain it. It's a discernment. It's a knowing. And um, I started hearing that still small voice again. And I sensed the Spirit saying to me, I'm going to move you. And I need you to trust me in this journey. And I want to hear that. I didn't do much with it. I I didn't know where. I didn't know when. I didn't know how. I, I just tried my best to be open. And then I just pushed forward. God's given me an opportunity to lead, I'm going to lead. And then COVID happened. And I put all my energy into trying to lead our team and our church in that crazy season. And to be honest, it was a nice productive distraction from what I sense God continued to say to me. But I couldn't get past the, the fact that this voice, this still small voice that I've learned to hear over the years kept hammering on me, asking for my yes without telling me what the what, how, and where of the conversation was. And so I did what most people do. I made excuses. I love it here. There's no reason for me to want to live. Leave. We're in a great season. I, I don't know where you would want me to go. We're about to get a new pastor, and the timing doesn't make sense, but I heard the Lord so quickly say, "This is my church, not yours. It's my timing. It's not yours. It's my plan, not yours. So I gave him a yes. And that was scary. And I held it in my heart and I waited. And, and a funny thing happened. My family one by one, started to sense this too, and that God was preparing us to step into a new divine moment, a new season to step into. and we didn't know when, we didn't know where, we didn't know what, we didn't know how. We just sensed it was coming. So I held that close in my heart, I kept leading, kept waiting. I kept wondering, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. In April, I think it was, Connie, my mother-in-law, she said to me, I think God's going to move us to California. And I was surprised to hear that from her, partially because I love California. I tried years ago, uh, instead of going to Florida, I tried to go to California, and God closed that door. My family loves it there. We vacationed there last year. Annette and I, we've been there three out of the four last years. And when Ryan moved to California last year, I was gutted that he was leaving, but a part of me was jealous that he was going to be by the ocean, because I love the ocean. But I also sensed God calling me at that time to be faithful, to finish well, to serve this church as its interim pastor. And so I preached sermon series. We went through Christmas, and we kicked off our March our Mark series, and then COVID happened. But in, as, the year, as January and into the year sort of happened, I started sensing what God was saying, I hid those things in my heart and I stayed open. And I lived with a lot of ambiguity. I don't know where, I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know what. And I had a lot of anxiety. Do You ever have anxiety about unknown future? And despite the busyness and the ambiguity about the future and us being in the last stages of hiring Alex, God started to mess with me. I started to think a lot about California, about the ocean, about the diversity, about the food, about being on the water. Little things started happening, these little desires in my heart and my wife started to have a desire also. She started sensing the same thing and that started getting really stressful and really scary. And then to complicate things. Within thirty seconds of watching Alex, his first video when we were taking a look at him, I felt the spirit say he's the one. This is the guy. And I was really excited about that and, and, and in the weeks I've spent getting to know him I, I started getting even more excited About him being the lead pastor at this church And then I started to wonder Well maybe God wants me to stay here and work with Alex Because he's awesome He's going to be great for this church But in the reaches of my heart In the time that I spent with Jesus I knew he was saying I have something different for you And something different for South And it's going to be good Many of you know how close of a relationship, personally and professionally, Ryan and I had. Uh, our former lead pastor, and it's really something special. And when God started telling me He was going to move me, I couldn't help but wonder, maybe it'll be to work with Ryan again. And a few months ago, he and some of his elders had a conversation about the fact that at some point, didn't have a timetable. They would want to hire an executive pastor to serve alongside him. And they knew it needed to happen. They didn't have a timeline until a few weeks ago. And I got a call from one of Ryan's elders saying that they'd gotten to the place where it was time for them to start talking seriously about what was next, about filling that role. And he wanted to know if I'd be willing to have a conversation about it. And of course, I had already given God my yes, I'll go where you want me to go, I'll talk to whoever you want me to talk. And so I said, okay. And nothing was concrete, it was sort of a casual, someday-oriented conversation, but I told him I would pray about it. But in the weeks following, as I prayed about it, it became clear to me that God was gonna move us there. And while that was exciting, as you might imagine, I was a mess. Things here were going great. We hired Alex. I was so excited about that, but I found myself back in that place I was in 12 years ago where everything was going great, where everything was going well. I had no reason to want to make a shift, and I knew God was asking me to leave and follow him. And so I prayed, and I waited. And after months of ambiguity and belly aching and Bugging my therapist over and over about how I must be wrong. It all got clear. And just a handful of weeks ago, the elders there invited me to have a formal conversation with them. And so I did. A little less than two weeks ago, we had a conversation to explore it. And both they and myself and my wife sensed that God was stitching this together. And so I've accepted the call to step into this next moment in my life. And it's scary. And it's exciting. And it's really sad. I need you to hear me. Look at me and listen. I love South Fellowship Church. I love the staff at this church. I love the elders at this church. I love the volunteers and the leaders and the people at this church. I love what God is doing in this church. And I love Alex. I'm so sure he's the perfect lead pastor. And he and I talked a few days ago and even expressed to one another how bummed we were that we weren't going to be working together long term. And I would say that if God had said, Larry, I want you to stay at South, it would have been a joy to work with Alex. But I'm confident that God has a different plan for South and a different plan for me. And I know it's not all going to be fairy dust and unicorns. There's going to be some hard days ahead. And there has already been a number of hard days as I've had to sit down with people that I love very dearly and tell them what I told you. And some have wept and some have celebrated how God has written this story. Some have been frustrated. You might feel all of those things, and I want you to hear me. That's okay. It's normal. Feel what you feel. But I need you to know I'm convinced that not only is God calling me in a very specific way to step into a next season. God is with South Fellowship, with Alex Walton, with the elders and staff of this church. And I'm convinced that he will do exceedingly abundant things in the midst of this community. And I'm convinced that it's going to be okay. I can tell you that it's been the privilege of my life to serve this church. I've done my best to to serve it well, to step into each moment, presented to me the best that I can. And my prayer is that this will continue to be a church that takes risks, that lives on the edge, that doesn't play it safe, that tries new things, that seizes the power of every divine moment. And in a few weeks, I'm going to step away into a new moment. And I'm going to do the same thing I'm asking you to do. And perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And after enough times walking with Jesus through these kinds of moments, I'm confident he will. Let's pray. Lord, I've had to remind myself over and over these last few months and weeks that this is your church, that you are our leader. Lord, sometimes to follow you, we have to release control. We have to trust you, and we have to finish well. And that's my prayer for all of us, that in our lives, help us finish well, Lord. Help us to release control. Help us to trust you and to step into each moment and release the potential that each moment offers to us. Lord, you've blessed this church. Bless this church. Continue to bless it. Continue to bless this amazing community called South Fellowship Church. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here at South as it is in heaven. And I ask this in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. Together we said.
1: Thank you, Larry. I was looking forward to getting up here this morning because I could take this thing off, and this is the mask-free zone. So, hey! <laughs> oh, man, you know, I haven't been here um, yet uh, since we started gathering here. Uh, what a blessing to be here this morning. Uh, and although we're hearing hard news, uh, you know, we're with family, and I'm back with family, and that feels great. So, um, <clears throat> Hey, a couple things. Uh, it was a week ago today that, uh, Larry shared with us, his news, uh, with the elders. And then on Tuesday he had the, uh, the, really a very difficult day, heavy day for him to share with all of the staff, uh, his decision. And so, uh, the elders met on Tuesday night, <clears throat> pardon me. We met on Tuesday night and we started thinking about, okay, what's next. And, um, And, of course, one of the first things that came to mind was, well, what about Alex? And uh, how's he going to respond? And so Dan and I uh, called Alex um, and spoke with him. And uh, he didn't flinch, although I think we saw his pupils dilate just a (laughs) little bit, you know, just a tad. And uh, over the next couple of days, Alex expressed a desire to uh, share with you a few thoughts. So, we have that video here uh, that he just taped yesterday. We're going to share that and then I'll come back up and, and share a few closing thoughts with you.
2: Good morning, South friends. It's so good to be able to talk to you this morning from a distance. I'm so excited to join you in just a, a few weeks. We're just the moving van is, is now fully packed. We just spent the day loading it up. It's ready to go. We're gonna go and take a couple of weeks doing some fishing. I'm gonna get to go see my family in England. But we're excited to be with you. Uh, But yet this is a sad occasion as well. Sad because Larry is moving on. Uh, I got to talk with him briefly about some of the things he was going to say today and so much of it resonated with me. I'm so excited for where God is calling him. So excited for what's next for him and Nat and his kids. So excited for the next part of their story. I'm sad that we don't get to work together. I'd hoped that we would work together for ages. And yet one of the things that life has taught me is this. This Jesus story that we're part of. Man, it's bigger than us. So much bigger than any one of us. We don't get to control it. We get to participate in it. I always think it's helpful to think of it like the flow of a river. We can't swim against a river. It's just too powerful. We get to go with its flow and and this Jesus journey that we're on, man, it's exciting. So when Larry told me, I I said a couple of things to him. Well, firstly, I said, you will ruin the day, my friend. (laughs) And as much as I was joking, uh, there's there's a truth to that. Every time we move on, there's a cost. I still have communities that that I was part of that I feel, ah, there's things there that I loved. And I also said to him, you can't be in two places. Go, my friend, and follow that call. Be that person that God has called you to be. And I'm so excited to see what happens. So delighted for the adventure that's ahead. I think sometimes we, we we get a little lost in our own communities, as important as they are. And every time I experience change, I think back to to our friends in the New Testament and the early church. I think back to Paul saying this to the the elders in a town called Ephesus as he was about to move on. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Man, that's a guy who's living a story that's bigger than him. He's immersed in this story. And so I know this to be true. God has a wonderful journey ahead for Larry in California and for his family as they go with him. And God has something for South as well. Who knows who that is maybe it's people already on our staff already involved taking on new roles and using their giftings in new ways and that's always a wonderful joy and maybe it's someone who's hovering on the outside waiting to jump in and we get to vision with them and and move into new things and move into the adventure that god has for us itself. but right now what our job is is this is to do what jesus would do and send larry with this incredible blessing send his family with this blessing and say go our friends Go and do what God has called you to do. So, uh, together, I'm going to invite us into that time of prayer. If you're in person in the auditorium, you may want to reach out your hands towards Larry. You may want to take that physical step in prayer. Or you may want to do it silently, sat down. But, however, with glad and sincere hearts, we thank God for the gift that Larry has given South for these years, the ways that he has used Larry to shape this community. And we send him and say, Go, our friend. You can't be in two places. Go and do what God has called you to do. So together, let us pray. Our Father who shapes this church, beautiful savior who loves us, gave himself for us, spirit who guides us, who speaks into our communities, who brings the presence of God in amongst us. We pray for our friend, Larry for Annette, their family. Send them with our blessing. May they know that as they go, that they are loved. As they go into new adventures, may they experience that, that sense that you are with them step for step. And we pray for our community, that you are leading us into new things. Help us to listen to that still, small voice. We are so excited for what you have for us. Thank you beautiful God. Amen. Thanks friends for joining me in prayer. See you in just a few weeks. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Bye-bye.
0: If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South family. Have a great rest of your day.